Father, it's hard to imagine what this day of Pentecost felt like. Not just for the 120, but for the thousands who came to you that day. People from all over the world. We pray that the reality of Pentecost would touch us today. We pray that your word would come alive in our existence. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> okay, a friend of mine ran a large haulage company in Manchester. And at one point he uh, appointed a driver who walked around the vehicle yard always in a particular way. My friend observed that the guy never walked across the lorry yard, but always around the edge. And perplexed, looking at him from the window, he said, why? He asked him one day, why did you do that? And the driver looked really puzzled and then explained that he'd served for 17 years in the British Army. And it was drilled into everybody. You never walked across the parade square, all was round it. And he literally marched around it. Now, if you speak to Jen Middleton, uh, whenever I explain to people that I used to be in the RF, but I was not in the least bit military, she said, I would question that. She said, when you were at college, she said, you used to march everywhere. I'm relieved, she said, that at Aldridge, you only march when you're stressed. So keep your eyes open. <clears throat> so in that guy's mind, the vehicle compound was a parade square. And whether it's simply a learned behavior or a tradition, it's one thing to do something, but it's quite another thing to know why or why not. It doesn't matter. And that's the power of asking the question, why? In the church, we often do things because we've always done them, but we never really ask, why? I've actually put in a, an evening preaching series in the future, and all the preacher will get is, why? They're entitled to ask questions, why we do this, why we do that, why we do the other. Sometimes we end up doing things without ever knowing the reason. And in asking why, we may even decide to stop doing something. Equally, something may find fresh meaning and perspective on a lot of things we regularly do and take for granted. But asking why can be important. Now, one of the very first activities of the early church we see in the book of Acts is the act of gathering. Hence, gather and go. Acts 1.14 says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The end of chapter 2 says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The first couple of chapters are saturated with descriptions of the communal life of the first followers of Jesus. From the very beginning, we see that the church was in the business of gathering. Why? What was that about? Have you ever wondered why any of us bother getting up early on a Sunday morning rather than lying in, all to meet with a bunch of people who believe that a 33-year-old rabbi rose from the dead? That's why Christians get up to worship. But I have asked that question myself many times over. Why do we gather? And more importantly, why is it significant? So first then, 
When we gather, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So often when we think about someone coming to Christ, we make it out to be an individual decision and an endeavor. And that understanding of salvation has led many people to say, you know, I need Jesus, but I just don't need the church. Now I have to say to you, as a vicar, sometimes I want to say, I need Jesus, I'm not so sure about the church. Because as Chris prayed... We are an odd bunch. All of us, not APC, every church is gloriously made up of people who are incredibly different. But here's the thing. Salvation is not just about making a personal decision. It starts there, but it's so much more. It's becoming like Jesus and participating in God's plan for the salvation of the world. And the point of the church collectively, is to share with the world the fact that Jesus is Lord and he's ushering in the kingdom of God. Everything we do here should feed and nourish as a gathered church what we do there. Getting that right is so important. What we do in here is not for us. It is for God. And when we have met with God and been built up together, then we exist for the sake of the world. Bill Heibel said, the church is the hope of the world. Nothing else embodies Christ. Nothing else has the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And nothing else is meant to be God's instrument of love and salvation for the world. You've heard the story of Jesus having 12 men. And only 12. And he was asked when he got back to heaven, so-called, have you got a plan B? No, this is it. We are plan A. And we're the only plan that God has. Secondly, when we're gathered, we are united in Christ. Let's face it. We live in a world of immense division. Look at the diversity of people all around you. If the kids were here now, we would have kids from weeks old to people in their 90s. There isn't a generation missing from the life of this church. Now that is glorious, but it is also a challenge. It is a challenge to love one another, to hear one another, to reflect the glorious rainbow people of God that he's called us to be. Romans 15 says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of the mind of Christ Jesus so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why people are being killed, the reason why there's so much going on and everyone fighting for themselves is because each has an agenda. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we're both gloriously different. We approach things differently. But we work on the basis that we have a unity in him that is of paramount importance. And I kind of want to say this morning, because one of the prayers from yesterday was that we would find a way of expressing that unity. We really need to work at this, folks. And I want to say to you this today. I am conscious that from time to time, even the way I lead offends you. And if that is the case, I want to ask those who are hurt and offended by me to come and talk to me. 
And I want you to do that, please, because I believe that the unity of God's church is more important than my role and any disagreement we may have. And if your disagreement isn't with me, then for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, will you please go and sort it out with the person concerned? This is so important, and it's a recurring theme in our life. It's a recurring concern, and I think, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, we have to resolve it. If I am a part of your difficulty, please find a way. Come with a friend if you must, but come and talk to me. Thirdly, when we gather, we gain a greater appreciation and an understanding of who God is. Genesis 2 teaches us that we're made in the image of God. So it takes a diverse group of people to get an accurate accurate picture of what God is like. None of us can afford to think that the way we relate to God is the only way that he can be related to. Our personalities mean that some of us are deeply reflective, very quiet. The silence at the beginning of this service would be, for some of you, a rare and beautiful joy. For others, we never get excited enough. I'm talking tonight about being drunk as Christians. I'm going to encourage a congregation to get drunk on the Spirit of God. But that's because that's how it looked to others. And I think a little bit of intoxication amongst Christians is a really good thing of the right kind. But we're all very different And so how important it is that we recognize that if we have only our picture of God, John Coyne's picture of God, it's far too small a picture. My vision of God is limited even after donkey's years as a Christian. I need the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed to me through you. We need that as a body. And so as we gather, we paint a picture for one another, of what the love of God looks like. You might remember that when Moses asked God's name, remember in the Bible names always meant something, God simply said to him, I am. And that's God's way of saying, don't try and figure me out yourself, I'm more than you can handle. I want to know a God who's far more than I can handle. I want to know a God who's going to take me in places and do with me in my life those things that grow the kingdom in me and beyond me. And I need you to help that be a reality. And fourthly, so important on Pentecost, when we gather, God shows up. His manifest presence is amongst us. It says in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praise of his people. Jesus put it this way, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, not in our name, but in his name, I'm there with them. When we gather and praise God, the presence of God meets us in a unique way. John over there tells me that um, worship is a means of spiritual warfare. And there is a sense that worship is not only our encounter with God, but the life of the kingdom encountering us and touching the world in its brokenness and in all that holds it. God meets with us in a unique way when we gather. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Every individual Christian needs a private and an individual <clears throat> and a personal time of worship. I think that's crucial. But the presence of God meets us in such a mysterious way when we come together that we gather big to encounter God in a big way. There is nothing more awesome than a load of people united in worship singing their praise to God. It is powerful. The, pre the very presence of God meets us in our praise. Perhaps you experience that here sometimes as we gather for worship and sometimes not. But when we who are many come together as one, it really isn't something you can explain. You can't put it down to some human group dynamic. It's as if we release the life of heaven into our midst. That's not about style. It's frankly not even about what you're singing. It's about a heart connecting with God's heart and worship him fully. God created the world in such a way that everything operates better in unity than it does individually. We experience things on a deeper level when we're part of a group than when we're on our own. And that's why Hebrews 10.25 tells us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we gather together, we're able to experience certain things that we can't when we're on our own. Now, I preached last week on John 17. And I said there that there is a sense in which my life is so busy, your lives are so incredibly busy, that actually the gathering is a real challenge. The challenge to gather regularly is hard for every one of us. And I've asked that we just think how we can do our gathered life and all our other gatherings of life, be it work or family or friendship, in a way that connects better. I do not have the answer to that. But I think that modern life puts such stressful demands on us all. We need to find some stillness. We need to find some Sabbath. We need to find some gathering. And we need to honour the fact that we're all very different and at different stages of life. That's something to seek the mind of God about for us as a church. And fifthly, we gather because together we can do more. The writer of Proverbs talks about two chords are better than one. We can always accomplish more together than we can on our own. For instance, a single bird uh, can fly a certain distances, but apparently when birds fly in that V formation you see, they somehow create a downdraft or something that enables them all to fly further on. They can fly longer distances together. We see the same thing happening with human beings. We're able to encourage more together than when we're alone. So I end with this story, and it's quite a powerful illustration. A concert was being arranged to raise funds in support of members of the British Armed Forces who'd been permanently disabled in either Iraq or Afghanistan. A well-known singer was approached to join the concert, and he said he would love to, but he had a very heavy schedule and would happily come, but in the light of his other commitments, he would only sing one song. He agreed to come. The concert was well underway. And the time came for this singer to perform, which he did, and received rapturous applause. One song. And to the organizer's surprise, he sang a second song, then a third song, and then a fourth song. And each time he sang it, the applause grew louder and louder and louder. Finally, he took a bow and left the stage. And backstage, the organiser said to him, hang on a minute, I thought you had to go after a few minutes. What happened? He said, look out there. 
and there were two blokes on the front row, both injured in conflict. One of them had a left arm. One of them had a right arm. Both of them clapped together during his performance. That is why we gather. On my own, I am not sufficient. On your own, you are not sufficient. Together, and only together as the body of Christ, can we applause the living God. Amen. Let's be still for a few moments. Lord Jesus, we give you back your church. Spirit of God, come and fill us afresh. We'll pray that constantly through this service. Come and fill us afresh. Help each of us as we hobble along, each one disabled, to be a body who can applaud you, can cheer on the life of your kingdom. Help us to see that in all our imperfections, no one is excluded. Each one has a part to play. That our gathering really is important. And that you really do inhabit the praises of your people. Manifest your presence now, we pray, as we prepare to gather around your table. Make us truly one. Amen.